0: This week we're going to continue in our series called "Stories of God's Faithfulness." Uh, last week we walked through uh, some stories of some people in the Bible that God really had been faithful to and moved significant ways in their journey, and then we ended with Amanda and Spencer Oki talking about their struggle through pregnancy issues, and then ultimately at the end we saw those beautiful twins standing in front of us. And today. We are just going to journey through another story, and that story just happens to be me. So you can be a little scared about that, because I'm a little bit scared about it. So today, what you're going to hear is a story that's probably not uncommon to many of you. Many of you probably sit next to people like me on a day-to-day basis, or have been like me. Somebody that has this disposition of of low self-worth, a self-deceiving thought life, and then ultimately just this reality that you feel like, The weight of life is often too heavy to function in. But what is uncommon about my story is that I'm actually standing in front of you today telling you about it and telling you that I am not who I was anymore. That the God of the universe has somehow interceded into my life and transformed my heart in ways that I can't take any credit for. And I'm here to praise him for that. Uh, What we'll hear today is a story of somebody that struggled with some very real mental health issues, some very tragic. And deeply flawed beliefs about themselves and then how God picked up those pieces and conformed them into the man that I am today, fully knowing this, that I've yet to arrive at my final destination and he's still refining me, but I can look back at my life and praise him and say that I'm not who I am anymore, that he's shaped me into the man that I am right now. So I'm going to invite you to join me in that journey and I really don't think you have a choice because you're sitting in those seats. So, so I'm going to invite you to pray with me before we jump in our Jeeps and drive through that. Father, I just come before you today and just just lay out myself to you and that you would just uh, fill your presence up in my life and in my words. God, that you would just speak through my story into the hearts of those who are out here that need to hear it. Uh, Lord, that you would just move in those hearts, God, that you would soften our hearts into a place that you really could do some work. And Father, we just praise you for all the blessings and all, all the tremendous things that you give us and that we're here this morning to worship you. So we love you when you pray this in your awesome name. Amen. So, it's a Friday night, and I'm, I think that I'm in seventh grade, and I'm at a varsity football game. And I don't know if you have been to a football game, and you notice the middle schoolers, but they are over in the field playing a bunch of football-type games, and that's where I was. A little, little context, little things that you might want to know about me in seventh grade. Uh, I was a bit of a small fry, probably five foot, 100 pounds soaking wet. Uh, let's just say that there were gentlemen in my grade, most of the gentlemen in my grade, had developed at a much quicker rate than I did, and I was what they call a late bloomer. Uh, So my friends were more concerned about talking about what girls they found to be attractive and cute, or I was more inclined to talk to you about the latest Rugrats episode that I saw on Nickelodeon that day. So there's a little context for you. And that difference came to a head that night at that football game. And if you remember, gentlemen, when you were back in middle school, some of the things that you went through some of the things that you did. Guys were always about just like impressing people with their masculinity. Trying to show each other that they were better than the other person by things. And I just happened to be the object of that goal. And then what came next was just a series of pink bellies and wedgies and Melvins. And If you don't know what a Melvin is, I can tell you afterwards if you want to. At my expense. And so I remember vividly leaning up against the chain link fence, sitting on the ground with my shirt ripped, just wondering what in the heck happened as I sat there by myself for just a long period of time. Just, what in the world happened? Because these were my friends that were doing this to me. Now this <clears throat> is, isn't, is this the start of my journey into dark days? I can't say that. Is this a catalyst to those days? I can't really even say that. What I know is that's a pretty strong memory in my brain, but it's just one event of many experiences that began to shape my identity and who I believed that I was. And I wanted to share that story with you to somehow encapsulate maybe some of the struggle and some of the pain that was in my life at that time. But by no means do I want to focus on what external processes and people brought me to where I was. I, I have no blame for anybody for my journey. I have no resentment in my heart towards anybody and their actions that may have caused me to be different or conform me into a different way. The more important thing for me to talk to you about today is how God has brought me from that person to the person that stands in front of you today. And so I think what would be really wise is to try to condense my story really um, briefly and and really describe to you where I was. So who was I back then? I had three fundamental beliefs that I held true about myself, and I, I held these beliefs true for a considerable amount of time, probably from the ages of 14 or 15 all the way up to maybe three or four years ago, maybe 15 years battling these thoughts on and off. And these three, these three beliefs were this: number one, I just wasn't good enough. Number two was that nobody liked me, and number three is that it just did, if I just had that, whatever it was, that my life would somehow be fixed. And these weren't just big ideas that percolated themselves into my life, just through some actions. They did grow steadily in my life over the years, but they literally were things that I told myself in my head every single day of my life. had a small voice in my head that constantly whispered these things to me. And many of you out there may know what that self-talk sounds like and many of you out there may not understand what it's like to have a voice in your head, and maybe you think I'm a little weird, but I'm here to tell you I'm a lot weird, but I'm not unstable, okay? That voice constantly saying that you're not good enough, that you don't matter, that people don't like you. Man, if you could just have that. And over time, these ideas, if they continue to fester in your brain over long periods of time, and you leave them go unchallenged, What you just do is you believe that story, and it just becomes your truth. And so that's what happened to me. And these ideas just led me to this place where I put no value on myself. I felt unworthy of life. And it was just the reality of this huge hamster wheel of tragedy toward myself. You see other people who have what you want, you see other people who you want to be, and it just reinforces this idea that I am not good enough, because if I was good enough, then I would be that person, or I'd have that kind of stuff. And these mental and emotional things begin to show themselves out in me in physical ways. I began to sleep as much as I could. I did not want to get out of my bed, and it wasn't a typical teenage college guy that just was tired and just wanted to sleep a lot. I just literally did not want to get up and face the day. My eating habits just became destructive. When you place no value on yourself, you almost begin to punish yourself in ways. I wouldn't shower on a regular basis. I wouldn't keep good hygiene practices. And I began to find solace in the distractions that took me away from that life. So that looked like just pouring myself into my sports team, just consumed with becoming the best athlete in that sport that I possibly could, and then into video games. And then ultimately it led me to a journey where uh, I started to look at pornography, and that just put more and more layers of destruction in my life. And I was just consumed with getting by in the normative responsibilities and priority that one has to do on a daily basis. And I was excelling in the distractions that took me away from that life. Every day telling myself that I wasn't good enough, that nobody liked me, which can only result after a period of time of you saying that to yourself, for you to begin about t- thinking about taking your own life. And so now these toxic thoughts are in my head over and over, and they all have me contemplating and considering taking my own life. So you hear this story and you think that, that I just have, must have been this recluse, that I was an outward mess, that I had very little positive interaction. I'll just tell you, that just was never true of me. Uh, I was really good at hiding this stuff. I wore a great mask. And I could leave you believe, to believe that I was okay. But I wasn't okay. And it was quite easy to fool you. I just use a little humor, some superficial distractions in life to draw your attention away from the inferno that is surely ravaging my life. Every day, telling myself those same things. And it's quite easy in this culture to live that way because we as people don't value other people enough to really dig into their lives. We love ourselves. But for all that I was doing, it was all skin deep. And if you just took some time to dig into my story, you would have exposed layer upon layer of dysfunction. So here's where I want to kind of turn and kind of talk to you about how God began to move me out of this reality. And I'm just gonna be honest with you up front. My life felt like it got worse after I made the decision to follow Christ. So during my junior year of high school, I had a campus life director who took some interest in me. And he began to scratch that surface and expose some dysfunction. And at that same time, there was a student who was in campus life, and he invited me to his church. And I just want to talk to you about the kind of cool thing about this kid. And I want anybody who's a student in this room, anybody who's in high school or middle school or a child to listen to this, because this is really important. That kid was younger than I was. He was involved in two of the three sports that I played, and he was by far not even close to the same caliber of athlete that I was. And that is not a boastful statement, because I really don't care that I was a decent athlete in a two-way school in Bluffton, Indiana. But I want to give you some context, because the world would tell you that that kid should not be approaching me. The world would tell you that that kid should not be coming to me. He should be intimidated by me. The world would tell you that that kid should be doing what I was doing, not asking me to do what he was doing. And this is a Holy Spirit moment in my life. That this kid knew Jesus and God had drew him and guided him to me. And he stepped out in faith and took a risk for the gospel. And he risked humiliation and rejection because it was entirely within the realm of possibility that I could completely humiliate this kid in front of his friends. But in his asking, in his obedience to the Father, God grabbed a hold of my heart. And that is the start of the person that you see today. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't influence somebody based upon your position. Because if God is guiding you there and the Holy Spirit is a part of it, it doesn't matter. So be obedient to that and do it. It worked in my life. It's it's part of who I am today. So before that in my life, I had no exposure to the gospel of Christ. And I'm going to tell you that even though God was a reality, he was a far distant priority in my life. He was this rock though that somehow propped me up in the midst of this struggle, that I knew from other people that he was going to be able to fix my life, that he could do that, he could heal me, but I didn't know that for myself. I just knew I took hope in that. And so my life wasn't night and day. It wasn't that different. It wasn't drastically better and it wouldn't get better for years. But inside of me was this still and steady voice that pulled me through this struggle And I knew that he mattered. I knew that he mattered. And this was the way my life was for years. I really loved Jesus. I did. And I didn't know exactly what to do with that. But I knew that he had changed something inside of me. That he had given me a hope. And I knew I wanted to serve him. So late in high school, I decided that I was going to go into ministry. Because God had showed me something about myself that I thought I could be. But here was the problem. That person, I felt like, was buried down deep inside of me. I could see what I could be, but I could never get there. I felt like the real Steve was just buried within me. It was trapped in a cage, and I could not find the keys to get out. And as I exited high school, and I began to discover some new freedoms for myself, you know, leaving home, leaving this community in some ways, and not having any significant relationships where I was at, I began to discover some stuff about myself because I didn't feel the pressures to fit in. I didn't have the fear of not fitting in because I fully believe in high school that I played a role that was prescribed to me by my friends, and I played that role well. It, necess- it wasn't me, but I was too afraid of being who I was because I was afraid that I wasn't going to be accepted and that I might be ejected or rejected. And it caused me just to stay where I was at. And so in, in college, I just realized really quickly that people just don't care about that stuff anymore. And so it just gave me this freedom to begin to discover some stuff about myself. And I began to see that I was pretty good at building relationships with people and that I was kind of funny. I was back then. I don't think I'm that funny anymore. But I was back then. I discovered that and I discovered that I was good at teaching some stuff. And I devoted myself to reading God's word every day. But I still had this tragic understanding of who I was and I still believed that people thought of me poorly and I still had issues with addictions to the distractions in my life and so in this newfound freedom all those addictions accelerated and flourished and so what I was doing was I was creating this unbelievable friction between the person that I knew that God wanted me to be and the me that was falling short of that standard in every single area of my life. And on top of that, I was trying to do ministry. Now, do I fully believe that God impacted lives during that time through my ministry? I do, but it's hard to give to somebody something that you don't have. And so that just led me into this place of of new progressive, a progressive negative talk to myself, much more difficult than the one before. And I just kept telling myself over and over some of the same themes with new venom in it, that you're not good enough, that you're a fraud. No one likes you, and if they really knew you, they'd hate you. They'd be so disappointed in you. You are disgusting. And now I've massaged these areas of relationship building and humor, and I'm telling you, it didn't matter who you were, I could hide anything from you. I could hide it all. I could wear that mask. Nobody was better at me than doing that. But do you know what happens over time as you live in this world where you are just hiding stuff and you're pretending to be something that you're not? There are many of you in this room that probably know that struggle currently. The amount of shame that you feel is almost unbearable because you believe that no one could possibly ever love you if they knew what you knew about yourself. But as unbelievably horrible as that sound, my guilt and my shame became something I hid in. They were a warm blanket to me. And that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, it was far more easy to, difficult, to, to deal with the guilt and shame and withdraw from that than it was to reasonably think about living in the truth of that. That seemed crazy. But the gospel of Christ, guys, wrecks it all. The gospel of Christ wrecks it all. The gospel of Christ has an ability to take away our brokenness. It has the ability to overcome our pain and our hurts and our guilt and our shame. And before long, those seeds that were planted in me from a very long time ago, from that young student and my campus life directors, began to take root. Romans 5, 7 through 8 says this. It says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that line, but God, changed my life. But God saw me in my mess and my wretchedness, and he still died for me changed my life and it changed the world. There was a season probably three or four years ago where the Spirit of God broke through in my life in a way that I fully understood the gospel in my heart probably for the first time. And I'm a man that had heard the gospel hundreds of times before that. And I had taught the gospel hundreds of times before that. But the meaning of it in my life never came to full comprehension until that point. Did I love God before that? Yes, I did. Did God love me before that? Yes, he did. But at his right moment in my life, he brought within me a full understanding of the gospel of Christ in the cross and what it meant to my heart. And I came to a full knowledge that I needed a savior. I needed him because my efforts continued to sabotage me. I deceived myself into believing so many lies that I carried out as so much truth. And I fully came to believe that my identity in Him was far more important than the identity that I wanted you to believe about me. And I found this unbelievable courage to confess and expose my heart in front of the God of the universe and the people that I love. And in that exposure and in that confession, I found a freedom for myself that I never knew was possible. I was fully known, but yet fully delighted in by the Lord. Fully known and fully delighted in by the people that I loved. And it helped me to finally stop pretending. So many of us live our lives on a day-to-day basis when it comes to God. That we think our standing with Him changes daily. That one day that God is mad at me because of my actions, and one day He loves me because of my actions. But I'm going to tell you that our position with God is not predicated on ourselves. For those who believe in Christ Jesus that position has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ in our lives. And I have embraced his favor fully in my life and I have found strength within his grace to move forward, knowing fully that there is nothing that could ever separate me from that love. My foundational understanding and embrace of the gospel has propelled me into a new season of growth in my life and I can look back on my life with a glad heart and know that I'm not who I was that God has brought me through it, and I'm the better man for it. Now, there are multiple factors that have led me out of this, none which will be bigger than my full embrace of the gospel and felt need for it in my life. But there are multiple things that helped me walk out of that, and I want to give you a few of those today, three really big, important shifts in my life. And they come out of James 1, so we're going to read some of that. We're not going to read the whole chapter. I just take... Um, This time to tell you it would be worth your doing and reading James 1. So we're going to jump to verse 13, and it reads this way. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. As I stepped out of this heaviness in the season of depression and self-worth issues, and as God brought me to my senses, I fully became aware of my limitations as a man, my limitations as a earthly created being. For so many seasons under the sun, I had toiled with myself, trying to push myself through better effort to overcome these things, and I fully believe that if I just tried harder, if I could just stop doing those things, that I would come out of this. But the reality was this. What I really needed was to be saved for myself. I needed to be saved for myself, and that knowledge led me into a full embrace of my brokenness. I owned my brokenness. Own your brokenness. So what comes out of this verse in James 1 for me is that there is something inside of me that tries to deceive me. It continuously undercuts my best efforts and that's my sinful desire. So there was a realization in my life that was what was ever going to fix the issues in my life was not going to be me. That I had to look outside of myself to the only one who was capable of killing my sinful desire and the only one who had come to restore my brokenness. And that's Jesus Christ. And so I absolutely own that brokenness today. And I will tell you that I am a weak man. And if you wanna say, well that sounds weak, I will just affirm that. Because I think owning my brokenness and being able to come to the point where I said that I'm not okay, in fact I'm a train wreck was the greatest moment in my life. And I have no problem telling you that because you don't own my identity. The gospel has freed me to own my weakness and boast in God's richness and work in my life. And I will not be ashamed about it. And so you will hear me talk about my struggle with pornography and you will hear me talk about my struggles through mental illness because I am not ashamed of it. Because where God has made me, has, where I was weak, God has made me strong. And an important part of owning your brokenness is to realize that God is with you in that struggle, and in fact, He's actually using it. James 1 2 4 says this Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Not only can I boast in my weakness, but I can also tell you that God is and has used it to make me a better follower of him. My life comes into full agreement with Romans 8.28 that says, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I want to warn you, because I had a flawed understanding and assumption of what the word good meant in this verse. It is so easy for me to overlook the next verse right after this that says, For those who God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed in the image of His Son. And I don't know if you hear the word conform and think that's an easy process, but to be conformed to His image is a very tough process. There were so many seasons in my life that I believe that term good meant that for those who love God, God promised them cupcakes and rainbows cash flowing out of my pockets, nice cars, a nice house, paid internet and paid TV. And that didn't match up to my life. And that just led me to doubt God. And it led me into a deeper belief that I was just screwed up. But a change in perspective in that verse, in a full understanding of what that verse meant, jumpstarted me into a new area of life. Because if the end game in our life is to look more like the perfection of Jesus Christ and less like the imperfection of our own flesh, we have to understand that that journey will not always be fun. In fact, it will be painful. It will not always bring us the most happiness in our life. And that is true of my story. But was that process still good? Yes. Whatever the cost it has for me in my life, If the end product is for me to look more like the sun, in deed, in words, in actions, who's going to disagree that that is a good thing? This was a game changer in my belief system because it allowed me to see the issues in my life not as some disease, not as something that was wrong with me, but something that was going to be used for my good. Did it hurt? Yes. Am I wounded because of it in some ways? Yes. But was it good for me? Yes, because I am fully aware and fully believe that all the ups and downs, the turns in my life were for my good, and I, because I am called according to his purpose. And if you would just chart my life right now, it may look like this. From beginning to where I am now, it may look like this. I, I have come to a place where it has worked out in a way for me that is not only good in my spiritual and internal way, but it has worked out itself in a way that's good for me worldly. I love my life. I'm content in my life. I have an awesome wife. I have a beautiful daughter. I have more than I ever could imagine. But will, will this be the story of my life? I don't know. I could, I could walk out of this room and tragedy could stu- struck my life. And my life could end looking a lot more like this. But will that process still be for my good? Yes. If he is forming me into the image of his son, it will still be for my good. And I fully believe this. And it has given me a way new perspective and attitude on life. The second thing that God is using to conform me is out of James 1, verse 5. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Proverbs 4.7 says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it would cost you all that you have, get understanding. Part of the process for me that God took me through was a birth and desire to gain wisdom. I began to expose my heart, and instead of listening to my own narrative and my own thoughts, I sought the advice from some wise and godly people. And I'll just be honest with you. I've seen a Christian counselor on and off for years. And he has brought to me a greater understanding of myself and a greater understanding of God in my life than I could ever have done. And that is what wise and godly people do for us if we allow them and give them permission to speak into our life. And if we own our brokenness and confess the crap that is going on in our life and we say that we can't fix it ourselves. But be careful about who you let speak into your life. So because of all of this stuff, God has brought me into this perspective with a lot of this wisdom that I gained and a new attitude in my life that I think is summed up best in James 1, verses 22 through 25. It says this, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his face, a natural face, in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So because of all of this hard work that God has put me through, he has got me to this place where I'm no longer a hearer. I can read the scriptures and not just think, man, I'm glad I read that. I can hear people who give me godly advice and not go, that was nice. But he has birthed within me a doer. And I can't take any credit for that. He has caused me to want more than I am right now. You have to want more than you are now. There was a definite moment in my life where I said, Lord, I am sick of being this person and I'll be, There was probably 70 of those moments in my life. But for some reason, at this moment, it birthed within me a passion. And I believe it was the direct movement of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because it wasn't for lack of changing before in my life, but this time something was different. I felt like the person that was trapped inside of me is somehow now reachable. Most of my life, I recognized that there was something wrong with me. I recognized there was a significant battle in my life, but I really lacked the resources and the desire and energy to overcome that. For short seasons, yes, but nothing sustained. It was always about behavioral modification. It did not deal with the wickedness of my heart. And when God grabbed a hold of my heart, he birthed within me a doer. And now I just want to be like him. I'm not always perfect at it, I want to be like him. So to kind of sum this up, you know, Nikki and I were talking about this a month ago because I knew I was going to speak about my story. And we began to look through some old journals that she wrote and and some that I had written. Um, And so it's funny to look back at these old journeys and uh, journals and just see how God has kind of answered prayers along the way. And so I wanted to take a few of these journal entries and just kind of read them to you. Uh, This is from my wife's prayer journal in 2003. We were just boyfriend and girlfriend at that time. Um, And it's okay, we laughed at these things, so don't feel like you have to be super serious about this, okay? This is what Nikki wrote. Lord, I pray for Steve's new foot that he's stepping out on in organization and getting things done on time and the right way and in being a quote-unquote man. not sure what that meant, but I'm glad that she was praying for it. It's another one. Lord, I pray for Steve becoming a continual theme, a man, his organization, and not embarrassed by this, but my girlfriend prayed for my cleanliness at this point. <laughs> Guys, I don't know if you look back in your life and, like, you think back to the person that you were when you met your spouse that is now, and I'll just tell you this, I was a hot mess. And I think, what in the world? But she would tell you this, that through the providence of God, that God somehow was able to blind her to the dysfunctions in my life and was able to allow her to see what could become out of me. And I'll always be thankful for that because there's nobody as far as an earthly relationship that is more responsible for me being the man that I am today than my wife. And so I'm, I'm glad that she was blind. This is from a journal of mine from maybe four or five years ago. It says, Father, what are you doing in my heart? I'm constantly pensive, lost in moments that I should be in on. Where are you guiding me? Give me a direction. I'm hopelessly wandering about life right now, not fully satisfied, but knowing I'm supposed to serve you. I know that I'm my worst enemy, Father, and I need discipline, period, self, period, discipline, period. I am a ship out at sea in the midst of a storm, and my compass is spinning, and I cannot find shore. Friends, First Thessalon, Thessalonians 5, 24 says that, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will surely do it, and he has done it in me. I do not believe those lies anymore. Do I hear those lies still? Yes. I choose not to believe them, because the gospel of Christ has made me good enough. And because of that gospel, I no longer am concerned whether or not you like me as a person. I'm more concerned that He likes me, and I do not want more stuff in my life. I don't need anything else. I'm quite content with what I have, and I can wake out of, get out of bed in the morning with joy in my heart to face the day, and I can look in the mirror and not be ashamed about the person that is looking back at me in that mirror. And I can stand in front of you today with the living spirit of God inside my heart and tell you that he is able to do the impossible, that he is able to heal the broken, that he's able to take us from a position of pain and struggle to a position of gratefulness and awe. God is able to do all. And if you are in here today and my journey resonates with you in life, that maybe you're somewhere further back on that road, I just want to tell you that he can, that he can and he will hold on, hold on to that. The gospel of Christ wrecks it all. You know, this past Christmas Eve, I stood in front of you guys as a congregation with your guests, and I was able to teach about the gospel of Christ. But what you don't know is that hours before that, that service, I was literally in my office crying because I think it was a gift. I fully saw the man that God was making me and I cried tears of joy that somehow how did I get here? How did I get here from that scared little boy? And I just wept because I could praise him. So does God work in the lives of people today? Does He transformed people's hearts. Well, you tell me. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for my journey. Um, I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, You have made me who I am today. And God, I just pray for those who are out here who lack the knowledge and the strength to deal with some frightful circumstances and self-deceiving thoughts that, God, that you would move in their hearts in a way that you would fully help them understand that you have completely justified them, not through their own efforts, that you have adopted them as sons and daughters, and you delight in your children. Lord, help us to see that this has never been about us, but it's always been about you. And so, God, we thank you for today, and we praise you for who you are, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who did for us what we could not. Amen.